Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back. And it is my great privilege and honor today to have my special guest here, David McSwain, Chief Medical Information Officer at Medical University of South Carolina. Dave, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Patty. I'm very happy to be here. Excited to talk with you. Thank you so much. So, Dave, just to get us started off, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, the Medical University of South Carolina, MUSC, the populations you serve, the kind of programs that you run at a high level, and uh, your role and responsibilities at, uh, at MUSC? Yeah, MUSC is an academic medical center located in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. We have uh, five campuses really throughout the state of South Carolina and serve the entire state. We have six different colleges and a variety of students across numerous health professions, disciplines, and we have a great uh, research infrastructure as well and have really done a lot of work, particularly in the innovation space. My role at MUSC as the Chief Medical Information Officer is to really look at the integration of technology, especially into clinical care and how that impacts the workflow of physicians and other care team members, how it impacts the patient experience, and to focus on that integration across different types of technology to streamline the practice of care. So when we talk about technology, obviously one of the big growth areas in the application of technology in in care delivery has been telehealth. And of course, we'll talk about what that means. The term telehealth could mean different things to different people. And I'm also aware that uh, you were uh, one of the leaders uh, in uh, in launching and establishing what is now one of two nationally recognized uh, telehealth centers of excellence. First of all, tell us what that means. Uh, what is a nationally recognized telehealth center of excellence? And then you could maybe help our listeners understand what telehealth means today to uh, organizations such as MUSC? Yeah, you know, you actually hit on a key point right there at the beginning. Telehealth really means a lot of different things. And that's one of the key things for people to understand when they think about implementation, when they think about policy and regulation, when they think about the evaluation of programs. And that was a key aspect of MUSC being recognized as a National Telehealth Center of Excellence. We have a vast amount of expertise and a number of people that are national leaders in telehealth at the institution. And it was that depth of knowledge and experience across so many different types of telehealth that was the key to MUSC being selected as one of the two national telehealth centers of excellence. I think when HRSA, which is the funding organization, 
was looking to establish that program. They were looking for centers that could provide expertise and education and that experiential knowledge to programs across the country who were looking to implement telehealth. Because at the time, pre-pandemic, there really were not a lot of institutions that had a really broad knowledge of the different types of telehealth and the ways that this technology could be implemented across all varieties of clinical scenarios and workflow scenarios. Now, I want to dig into uh, telehealth a little bit more. You know, when I talk to healthcare executives and also as part of the work that my firm does, we find that firstly, the meaning of the word telehealth varies a little bit depending on who you talk mm-hmm. to, just like the meaning for the word digital and digital transformation and digital health. And we also find that depending upon what kind of populations you serve, where you are, whether it is geography, whether it is demographic profile, or whether it is even the type of care that you're delivering, the application of telehealth programs and telehealth technologies can vary widely. Can you help us parse through that a little bit uh, for someone who is, let's say, trying to understand and is relatively new to implementing telehealth programs? Yeah, well, the key really is to focus on the problem you're trying to solve and not on the technology. There's such a variety of technology available and things that are emerging all the time that are advancing what we're capable of even more that you don't want to walk around with your hammer looking for a nail. You know, you want to really focus in on what are the requirements and where are our gaps. And once you've defined what it is that you need to accomplish, how you need to improve the care of your patients, how you need to improve the workflow of your providers, how you need to coordinate care across settings or across uh, institutions and across locations. Once you identify what the challenge is that you're looking to address, then the tools will kind of present themselves, whether it's a synchronous video consultation, whether it's physician to physician, physician to patient, whether it's an asynchronous encounter, remote patient monitoring. There are so many different tools that it can be a little bit overwhelming, but the best way to focus in on that approach is to start with that problem. And of course, you mentioned synchronous video conferencing. But telehealth isn't just that. It's a number of other things. Even a phone call can be considered telehealth uh, for the purpose of uh, reimbursements and so on and so forth. That's actually a really key point, especially now in the pandemic and as we come out of the pandemic and it gets to the issue of health of equity and, and disparities in access to care because some of the research that we've been doing has actually demonstrated that those that are at uh, a socioeconomic disadvantage, those that may have pre-existing disparities in access to care, they are uh, using telehealth as a broad term at the same rate or that uh, utilization increased similarly across those groups. But when you look at the distribution of whether it's video telehealth or audio telehealth, those who are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds or from other areas that don't have the same access to technology are disproportionately using audio 
telehealth. And that's really important as we're emerging from the pandemic and looking at the policy debates that are happening and the regulations that were enacted during the public health emergency as those begin to expire or be rolled back, if the reimbursement for audio only telehealth gets peeled back more so than reimbursement for video telehealth, suddenly you're actually exacerbating the disparities. And that's something we really need to make sure we maintain a focus on. From the point of view of MUSC and and the populations that you serve, can you maybe talk to one of the challenges that you've faced in rolling out a telehealth program, something that maybe your peers in similar kinds of situations, uh, similar populations can uh, learn from? Yeah. One of the big challenges is access to broadband. And this is something that's been very apparent during the course of, of the pandemic. It's really been highlighted. Broadband is something that a lot of us take for granted, but especially in rural areas, they may not have access to broadband. Another important consideration is whether you actually have access to broadband and whether you can afford to pay for the data that it takes to do a telemedicine consult, those may be two completely different things. And so you need to take that into account as you're rolling these programs out. The other really important lesson learned is to focus on usability. And that means not just usability for the patients, but usability for the providers. The first telemedicine program that I developed was a pediatric critical care telemedicine program that provided emergent consultation to rural community emergency departments for kids that came into those facilities critically ill and injured. And in a situation like that, it becomes incredibly important for the system to be as easy to use as possible on that in that rural or community emergency department, because often they'll have very chaotic situation going on, or at the very least, a very high stress situation. And you don't want to be worrying about logging into your system. You want to just roll the card into the room and make that quick connection. And that's how we developed that program. And it was one of the really key aspects of that program's success. You mentioned pediatrics, and I know that you've been uh, involved in some uh, very interesting work around pediatric research, uh, the Sprout program. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Sprout is really the nation's first national collaborative telehealth research program, and that's across both adult or pediatric services. The Sprout Network was formed because of the recognition that advancing quality telehealth services really requires having the evidence and data to support what it means to provide quality telehealth services. And if you really want to influence adoption of telehealth at the physician level, physicians have always been raised on the concept of evidence-based medicine. And if the evidence isn't there, it doesn't matter that it sounds like a terrific idea. They need to know that when they're going to be taking care of their patient, when it's it's a change in practice to the way they interact with their patient, that the evidence is there to support it. And so we formed SPROUT, which stands for Supporting Pediatric Research on Outcomes and Utilization of Telehealth, with several very talented folks from across the country who came together and developed the first national pediatric telehealth infrastructure survey We collected data from across the country, and we've developed a collaborative of over 140 institutions 
across the country and in some other countries that develop frameworks and best practices and provide education around how to study telehealth in your particular institution. And we got NIH funding back in 2019 for the program through the National Centers for Advancing Translational Science. And we're just getting into the third year of that funding. And obviously, as we went into the pandemic, all of the work that uh, we've been doing became critically important to the way that telehealth was being practiced, especially in pediatrics around the country. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. So now the program's been around for a couple of years. You've gathered some data, you've done some research. Could you share maybe one or two findings that you think uh, may be worthy of uh, consideration? Yeah. One of the things we did very early on during the pandemic was we brought together national webinars to explore how people were utilizing telehealth in the pediatric setting and what were some of the challenges that they experienced. And we identified very early on the challenge for non-English speaking populations in terms of access to telehealth. You realize that the majority of telehealth platforms have been designed with the assumption of English speaking patients and that bringing a translator into a telehealth interaction can be difficult. The platforms themselves often are not available in anything other than English. And that was something as telehealth programs scaled out across the country very rapidly during the early days of the pandemic, that a lot of institutions were really not prepared to address. And so Sprout actually served as a convener to bring people together and identify best practices to how to approach that to serve as broad of a population as possible. We've also done a lot of evaluation around how different institutions and different practices have responded to the pandemic and are working on getting published some data on educational approaches to scaling out telehealth services. We're also working on getting published the a policy evaluation stakeholder table or a framework that allows you to evaluate programs based on the different stakeholders that may be engaged in moving your program forward. So that may be a hospital system, that may be a patient, a provider, a policymaker. We really have a very broad array of tools that we're developing and they're really coming out, more tools are coming out all the time. Yeah, I've talked to people from other children's health organizations, for instance, and telehealth in a pediatric context is a very interesting space because you know, you're know you not just talking about the patient who's the child or the minor, but you're also talking about the parent. Uh, so in many cases, you have the child and the parent, parents mm-hmm. maybe, maybe in different locations. And now you're talking about a translator in the middle as well. So it can get uh, somewhat complex. And, and I believe the translator question is one that applies even in the context of adult care and not just uh, pediatrics. So I was just curious, are you seeing telehealth platform providers step up to the challenge and, and introduce the, the capability to have a translator in the mix every time there is a video conference call? Absolutely. And that's been a huge focus for a lot of vendors, a lot of uh, the industry folks over the past year, and we're seeing some really creative approaches that are being rolled out. Obviously, multi-party calling is a big part of that, just being able to bring an interpreter 
into the virtual room when needed, making sure that the platforms themselves and the education that's provided there, the instructions, that is multilingual. But some of the really exciting stuff involves technologies like natural language processing, real-time interpretation using voice recognition. And those are the kind of tools that I think when we look back 10 years from now on how the pandemic really shifted the evolution of telehealth and the evolution of digitally enabled healthcare in general, I think that integration of these emerging and promising new technologies into more of a unified approach that addresses populations and those with chronic disease and some of the most challenging patient populations that we have, that's where the shift really happened during this past year. And you're right, uh, the natural language processing, uh, the conversational AI space, if you will, is having a mm-hmm. moment. Uh, you know, you mentioned voice recognition, but there's also chatbots. Absolutely. Uh, Google Glass enabled services, a variety of these that are all based on natural language interfaces, if you will. Mm-hmm. And in your role as CMIO, how do you look at the data that is coming out of these platforms and these interactions? And are you finding ways to harness the data streams to generate insights that can improve outcomes, improve productivity, improve the quality of the experience. Can you talk to us about that a little? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of the key issues that we need to focus on coming out of the pandemic, especially, and to stay focused a little bit on the telehealth aspect of things. We've seen such an explosion in adoption of telehealth that our previous challenges around not having enough data. That's really a thing of the past in many ways. But our challenge now is using the data correctly to really generate actionable evidence and insight into what is the best practice? How do you coordinate this across different practices and different technologies? How do you develop that hybrid approach to providing either in-person or virtual care by a number of different modalities and do so in a way that is streamlined, that fits into the workflow of clinicians and other providers, and that supports the operations of the hospital in an effective way. And I think looking at the data that this massive trove of data that we now have, one of the things that Sprout is doing and has done is develop a telehealth evaluation and measurement framework that helps folks make sense of all the data that's coming in and look at it from the standpoint of a particular program at a particular stage of maturity from a particular stakeholder's viewpoint and the population that's being served and how do you pull the most meaningful data and the most generalizable information out of the data that you're getting for this service to really advance that safe and effective telehealth service going forward. And you mentioned early on in this conversation, Dave, that uh, you focused on using technology to really enhance care delivery. With all of the emerging technology, there's always got to be challenges too, especially if you're going beyond your core electronic health record system and you're now trying to tap into some of the digital health innovation or innovative new technology solutions that are out there. What are some of the biggest challenges that come to mind? And, and I'm going to sort of seed that question with a couple of things that come to my mind right away. Now, one is obviously integration. 
among mm-hmm. the different platforms and to the main electronic health record system. And the other, which has become a more and more pressing and urgent question now, is uh, cybersecurity. So mm-hmm. would you like to talk about both and, and anything else that you think has come to the surface as a big challenge when implementing these technology solutions? Yeah, you know, people get tired of the term governance, but I think that's an incredibly important aspect of this and really generating that alignment. Because as these different technologies emerge, digital technologies, digital health is becoming increasingly central to just about everything that we do in the healthcare system. And as a result of that, it's almost hard to identify a technology that only impacts one area, right? There's going to be overlap. There's going to be duplicative capabilities of different platforms. There are going to be platforms that you already have in place that can do the things that people are for which people are looking at new different platforms. And so having that understanding of what your current capabilities are, really what the real gap in what you can do is, and how the technology that you have could address those gaps versus what new technology you may need to invest in to be able to effectively address those gaps, that's a real challenge because in a healthcare system, particularly an academic system that has a research component, an education component, the clinical component, there's revenue cycle and operational issues. And these platforms that can be highly integrated, they also cross over into so many different areas that it's hard to have a good understanding of how your platform decisions, how your technology decisions impact all the different areas of the institution. And so gaining that alignment and that shared decision-making and having that governance in place is incredibly important. Now, to your point about cybersecurity, a few months ago even, I would have said cybersecurity is an under-recognized risk. I feel like if you're paying any attention to the news these days, it's not really under-recognized anymore. I mean, we have major healthcare systems now that are being forced back to paper for weeks at a time because of ransomware attack. And these can cost just millions and millions of dollars. And so you have to invest proactively in your cybersecurity and do so thoughtfully. And as you're implementing new technology, you have to be very proactive in the way you engage your cybersecurity team to ensure that you're identifying where those risks may be. We're long past the days when you can evaluate a platform based on a clinical need, buy it, and then hand it off to your security team to say, make sure this fits. This is, you know, you have to have your security team engaged early on in the process to ensure that you're not exposing risks that you may not have even recognized were there. Yeah. We're coming up to the end of our time here, Dave, and I wanted to touch on one more topic. You know, most of the focus of our conversation, and, and indeed, most of the focus of conversations that I tend to have around telehealth and digital health tends to be around how to serve patients better. But there's an important component to it, which is also how to make sure that providers, caregivers, can do their jobs better with the new Mm -hmm. technologies. And I know you've done some work in this space as well. Do you want to share a few closing thoughts on how 
providers can improve the way they deliver care and be more productive and not burn out in the process. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate you bringing this up because I think it's incredibly important. We all know now, I think, that provider burnout is a real issue. I think the emergence of technology had so much promise and it still has a great deal of promise, but the the ways in which it has at times been implemented has led to exacerbation of those challenges and actually increased the workload on our providers rather than decreasing it. And there's been a lot of recognition of that recently and certainly organizations like the ONC have taken steps to try to streamline the electronic health record and we're making progress in that area as well. But I think one of the other things that I, I want to point out, there's an increasing focus in the healthcare industry on consumerism. And I think that's there's certainly a lot of value in that. I think there are some patients that we, we shouldn't really think of as consumers because they don't have those consumer type choices when they have significant chronic or complex disease. But I see the value in the, in the consumer focused approach. But one thing that's often overlooked is when you're talking about digital health, when you're talking about technology, the providers are consumers too. And people don't think about that enough because when you are focused on the adoption of a new technology, and especially if it's a technology that sits in that interface between the doctor and the patient or the nurse and the patient, then there's two sides to that interaction. And both sides are the consumer. And so when you're designing your technology, when you're implementing your technology, when you're educating on training and supporting your technology, think about your providers, your physicians, your care team members as your customers, because really that's how they function. And if you can get that mindset around both sides of that equation, then you can really make a lot of progress in making the experience better for everyone. Fantastic. That is so well said, Dave. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And thank you so much for sharing your insights uh, from your work and the research that you're doing. And uh, I hope to stay in touch and follow the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, for anyone who is interested in telehealth best practices, once again, Medical University of South Carolina, go check out their website and uh, you'll get a wealth of information. Thank you once again, David. Thank you, Patty. I really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox.